Then he said to them all, If any one would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The text we have before us is Luke chapter 9 and at verse 23. And in that text, Jesus introduces a concept that is it's extremely broad in its nature. As a matter of fact, he tells us that we have a responsibility. He's really not telling us. He's telling his disciples, and I want to make that clear to start with, because that's, go, that's going to be a very important point. But he's making a statement to his disciples, and that statement has to do with the cross. Now, in that text that we've read, it says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he shall gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast out? Now, Jesus is referring to the cross. And there, there are three things involved in this particular text. He, he said that the disciples should deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And it, he said, actually, take up your cross daily and follow him. Now, this is one of the only two circumstances under which Jesus made this statement to take up your cross and follow me. Now, I said that was given, that, that, that the requirement was given to the disciples initially because we'll, we'll study what that had, what, what reference that had. But basically, he, he tells them under two different circumstances to take up their cross. The first is in a familial circumstance. In other words, he'll tell them to take up their cross and follow him. And it will be in a situation where the family is involved. The second will be, and of course the family is the first unit of society. And then the community, which would be the probably the local, state, and federal government sort of a community. The second is the community context. So he's going to say in the family context, take up your cross and follow me. And then in the community context, he's going to say, take up your cross and follow me. And he's going to tell the disciples this. Now, what we're saying is, what I'm saying basically is, that when he tells the disciples to do that, he is, as we said before, by extension, he's telling me the same thing. Because in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he said, All authority is given unto me, heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So now, he commanded these men to take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, do it daily, follow me. So basically, he's telling me to do the same thing. Now, before we can examine these two circumstances, the familial, familial circumstance and the community circumstance, we have to understand what these men understood. Now, our context with the cross of Jesus Christ is different than theirs. They had a different concept of it. Generally, if we talk about bearing your cross, we're talking about what most people consider to be some sort of a burden. So let's just, let's just uh, set forth a hypothetical. Let's assume that two parents, mother and father, good parents, have three children. The oldest is a daughter. The oldest girl is 15 years old. The parents die in an automobile accident. 
And it falls upon the daughter's shoulders to raise the other children, the siblings. And so she takes that responsibility and she raises the children. And somebody's going to remark, somebody will remark, that that's her cross to bear. So they're talking about a burden. So sometimes, and I think generally, when we talk about your cross to bear, we're talking about a burden that you're having to carry some kind of inordinate load that was either placed upon you by circumstances or by choice. For instance, because a person is a Christian or because a person feels obligated under moral circumstances to take care of the needs of someone else, let's say, somebody's liable to say, well, that's their cross to bear during life. Taking care of an invalid child taking care of an aged parent, taking care of some onus in the community where nobody else will step up and do the job. Someone says, well, that's just their cross to bear. So we actually have taken this idea of bearing a cross to mean a burden, with some kind of a, a burden on somebody's shoulders. But that really was not what these men understood that to mean. Well, if, if we find out what they understood it to mean then we can understand what it means for us. It's, it was totally different from them. In the terms of the love of God, we usually think of the cross as an expression of God's love. And so people will make uh, figures of the cross. And it's a two, two parts. It's a cross beam and an upright. And they'll use that as a symbol of God's love. And they'll... Reduce it sometimes to a totem or a small uh, bracelet uh, fixture or something on the, on the to be worn on a chain around the neck, and it'll look like it'll be the the uh, form of a cross. Well, let's let's keep that in mind before we before we get too much further. But let's 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 think about this. That's usually how we envision the cross like that. And usually we think about it when we see that cross and when we see a figure on the cross, which makes it a crucifix. When we see the figure on the cross, either a big one or a small one, we think about the love of God. My friend, people did not think of the cross that way. We're talking about before Jesus died on the cross. So what we're thinking about in terms of the cross would not be what they were thinking about in terms of the cross. Now the cross and crucifixion was a form of death penalty and warning that was practiced as early as the time of Darius of Persia. The Romans perfected the cross. Actually, the cross was a death sentence. A death sentence. Nobody came off the cross alive. It was like the guillotine. It was like the electric chair. It was, it was like uh, lethal poison. The cross represented death and a reminder that you better not do what it took for that person to get on that cross. So, the method involved a permanent stake, an upright, and a crossbar. The person to be crucified was required to carry the crossbar. He, his arms were tied to the crossbar. He didn't carry the whole cross. He carried the crossbar. So that's what they would understand. 
And he carried that after penalty had been imposed upon him, him or her. They carried the crossbar through a public area, either in the community, small community, or the village, wherever it might have been, to demonstrate the fact that they were guilty of a certain crime and they were going to be put to death. So they carried that bar with them and the announcement was made generally by the individual, by the criminal themselves, announcing what they'd done. If they didn't, then the person who was moving them along, for instance, the Roman guard, would tell the community, here's what they did in order to deserve this punishment. Here's why we're taking them to the cross. The crossbar was, uh, was made so that the arms could be attached to it. Then the upright stake was, was placed, and then the individual was lifted up on that, from that crossbar, full weight on the bar, and placed at a certain position on the stake, and it was secured there. Then there was a peg about down to where a person's crotch would be that they rested their weight on that. Now, you have to understand that if they didn't have the stake, it took only a matter of seven to nine minutes for the person to die. So they had to have the stake that they sat on. Because if they didn't, then their, their body would slump down after a few minutes and they'd suffocate. So the Romans practiced this art and it was an excruciating type of death and they wanted the person to suffer. So understand that it was not a penalty. It was not something that, that they were doing in order to get it over with. And in our society, if we're going to execute someone for a crime, such as treason, we line them up and shoot them. That's humane, we say. We execute them. We electrocute them. We hang them. We send them to the guillotine. The Romans did not want that. They wanted, first of all, they wanted this person to suffer an excruciating slow death in order to warn anyone else against that crime. So, they stayed on the cross sufficient time, and then actually as they expired on the cross, they generally didn't take them down. They took Jesus down from the cross the first day because the Jews said, the next day was a high Sabbath and they didn't want anybody on the tree. And basically their law required them, their custom required them to take a person off a tree or a cross and not let them stay overnight on it. But in order for these people to, to die, of course the Romans broke the legs of the two thieves that were executed on both sides of Jesus. And then they put the spear in Jesus' side because they thought he was already dead, which he was. And they penetrated, in all likelihood, penetrated his heart and his lungs. Out came blood and water. After death, they left these individuals on the cross and let the birds and the animals pick away at the flesh. It was a sign or symbol of disobedience against the government or the community. It was a death penalty. So when these people heard the term cross. That's what they thought of. That is a death penalty. A death penalty. Roman law required that only those who were of the lowest character were to be crucified. 
Roman citizens were not crucified, generally. There may be a few instances in history, but it, they're very vague and, and uh, obscure, that a Roman citizen was placed on the cross. That may bring to mind some of your uh, attention when you think about the Apostle Paul. He wasn't crucified. Paul was a Roman. And the, the, the only imprisonment they had at that time was to keep the citizens, Roman citizens, until the time that the sentence was pronounced on them. So, and they had no jail system for that. Their system was put them in jail until we can get a magistrate to pronounce the judgment on them and then punish them. Now, Roman citizens, the lowest of the Roman citizens, were punished by being sent to a salt mine or to a rock quarry, and they generally didn't last very long at that. All the slaves, anyone who, who committed any crime, infraction against the Roman government, such as a slave or a non-citizen, was generally put on the cross. They were, they were crucified for crimes such as treason, incest, murder, theft. The Roman government wanted to make it clear that we will not tolerate crime against our government. That was their, that was their determination. Crucifixion was well known in the time of Jesus. So when these men heard this business of bear your cross, carry your cross, they knew what that meant. It didn't mean carry a big burden. What it meant was you are sentenced to death. Not sentenced to punishment, not sentenced to penitentiary, not going to have a hard road to hoe. You're going to die. You're being you're being committed to death. That's the sentence on you. It was well known they knew about crucifixion because in AD or in BC 71 the Roman general Crassius defeated the third slave uprising against the republic led by the man that we're familiar with named Spartacus and uh, he defeated that uprising of slaves and as a result of that in order to warn all other slaves he crucified 6,000 of these people along 350 miles of the Apian Way. 6,000 of them. And in 61 B.C., now you think about how long ago would that have been during the time when Jesus was talking to these men? Okay, 71. It would be about 100 years before that. So now we're thinking, what happened 100 years ago in this country? That would be the 1920s. We know what happened in the 1920s. They would know what happened back then. They would know, let's say, uh, if what, what happened with the slaves that were in the uprising. They were familiar with what this meant. In 61 B.C., Gaius Longinus ordered 400 slaves to be crucified because one of them had assassinated one of his friends, Secundus. They knew what crucifixion meant. They knew what it stood for. The cross was a symbol of the death penalty to be exacted on the person because of criminality of some nature against the Roman government. Now, with that background, what would the disciples have understood by the statement of Jesus? 
was Jesus saying, look, with your family, when you have a family and you're going to be carrying your cross, what is your family going to do? Well, you say, well, maybe they're going to make me a martyr. What's, what's happening with my family? He's saying, basically, that you're going to die. They're going to commit you. They're going to con condemn you to death. That's what he's saying. That's what they would, they would naturally understand that, basically. And the same thing with the community. He was not asking them to become Roman criminals. He wasn't saying, take up your cross and be a traitor to the Roman government. Think about Jesus. When he went to the cross, why did they send him to the cross? Why did they impose the death penalty on him? Why did the people say, when Pilate came out and said, here's your king, what should we do with him? They said, crucify him. Why? And then Pilate said, why? What has he done? What has he done? What crime had he committed that was worthy of death? They had no answer. They said, well, he's not a friend of Caesar. And if you're not a friend of Caesar, you're in trouble. He said he was a king. And so that troubled Pilate. Pilate put Jesus to death, but he wasn't entirely uh, comfortable with it. Jesus was not asking his disciples to step away from their family and become dead to them. He wasn't asking them to do that. Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't asking them to oppose their community. He wasn't asking them to do that. He was saying, bear your cross. Carry your cross. Now, Jesus said he went to the cross because when Pilate asked him the question about, are you a king? He said, if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight. What Jesus is saying is that my family and my community have committed me to death. They've condemned me. Basically, that's what he's saying. They have condemned me. In John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19, he says, If the world hates you, he's talking to the disciples, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why was Jesus sent to the cross? Because the world could not stand him in their society and said, go away. We want you dead. We want you gone. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, if the cross was simply a burden, someone says, well, that's your cross to bear. If it was simply a burden, then there would be no shame in it, would there? There'd be no shame in it. If you have a job to do, and you, you sometimes see this story, the little guy that's carrying his brother on his back because the little brother is lame in both feet, and someone says, isn't he heavy? Isn't he a burden? And the guy says, no, he's my brother. So he's not talking about carrying a burden. He's not saying, I'm a burden. He's not saying that. Matter of fact, in John, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my load is light. 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I will give you rest unto your souls. Jesus does not put a burden on us. So when he's saying, bear your cross, he's not saying, I'm going to put a heavy load on your shoulders. He's not saying that at all. So be careful when you think about what he's saying when he's saying, carry your cross. He's not saying become a martyr with a martyr complex and saying, oh, woe is me. I have to carry this big burden all around and, and don't you feel sorry for me. He's not saying that. He's saying something else. He's saying you're carrying with you, when you pick up the cross, you're carrying a death penalty. A death penalty. Now, the accusations of Jesus being the Son of God and that He would resurrect, He admitted that He was the Christ. And so they put Him to death. His own people turned Him over to, the, uh, to be crucified as the lowest type of criminal. He had no rights before the law. So he could, no one could stand up and say, you can't crucify this man because he's a Roman citizen. He was not. You can't crucify this man because he's, he's a dignity among the Greek community. He was not. He was a lowly carpenter. He had no rights. He was as low as a slave. And that's what he called himself. He said, I'm your servant. You're, the, you're like the master and I'm the servant. They executed and made a death penalty rest upon his shoulders because they did not want him in their community. They did not want him there. Now, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul said, We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. They just couldn't imagine that. A criminal as our Savior? No. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 2 at verse 2, Paul said, I, know, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus left this world on the cross because His kingdom was not part of it. The world rejected Him, but, and this is important, it wasn't because He stepped away from the world. The world stepped away from Him. God so loved the world. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It wasn't because He said, I despise you. I hate you. I, I just, I, I can't stand to be around you anymore. It's because the world said, we don't want you. Get out of our lives. Get out of our world. Go to the cross, take the death penalty, and get away. That's what the world said. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now that's why the cross has a meaning to us. And I, I want to get back to this business of symbolism on the cross. In the first two centuries of this era, after Jesus died on the cross, and when the church began, the cross was never used as a symbol of the love of God. It never was. We use it that way today. But it's never used that way in the first two centuries. Matter of fact, they, they disavowed it and said it's a matter of idolatry to have a cross. And, and, and they were afraid people were going to worship the cross. And sometimes people do that. Maybe because we don't understand what it is. Is it a symbol of the love of God? Is the cross a symbol of the love of God? A cross was a symbol of death. 
of, of someone who was a brigand or a murderer or a thief or a traitor. That's what the cross was. We look at it and say, well, that shows us God's love. Well, it does. But it didn't show them that before the cross. And so when Jesus is telling these disciples, carry your cross, they had no idea that he was going to show his love on the cross of Calvary. They weren't going to see that. And that God was going to show his love there by giving up his son. But in Galatians chapter 5 at verse 24, it says, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. So when you give your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you crucify your affections and lust. In other words, the world, and here it is, the world is going to reject you. The world is going to reject you. You better brace yourself for it. Because when you name the name of Jesus Christ and you stand up for Him, you're going to fall down in front of everybody else. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at the cross, as we talked about it before, as we look at the cross, we see the symbolism today, because we're on this side of the cross, we see the symbolism and we call it the love of Jesus Christ. We call it the love of God. And so we look at it in that sense. They didn't look at it that way. They didn't see that at all. They, they saw that as, as something that was uh, inhumane. They saw so, that as something that was, that was torturous. Something that signified the end and not the beginning. So, when we look at the cross, of course, we, we, think, we think back on it. But that's not what these fellows were thinking about. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me... They didn't think of what we're thinking about. They were thinking, there's something bad going to happen. Somebody is going to crucify me. Somebody's going to take my life because of what I'm saying. And let's look at Matthew chapter 10 and see what he's talking about. Now, as I said before, there are, there are two units of society. Always have been, always will be, I guess, until the... Gabriel blows his horn. And that the first unity is the family. The family unit. And then the second, of course, is the community unit or the, or the uh, government, as it were, in the community. But in Matthew chapter 10 at verse 34, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against his mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Now what's going to happen in the family unit is, when a person decides to follow Jesus Christ, the family very likely... If they don't know anything about Jesus, they don't care anything about Jesus, if they're a family of idolaters, they're going to put you out. They're going to shove you out. And as far as you're concerned, as far as they're concerned, you're dead. They are. That will happen. We always, we always try to think of uh, families that may have been uh, families of brigands, pirates maybe. And we think, maybe somebody in this pirate cove, maybe there's one shining star. Maybe there's one unpolished diamond there that will stand up and, and, and not go along with the piracy, not going along with the plunder, not going along with all the, all the violence and so forth in that pirate community. 
And you think, well, what would happen to that guy if he stood up and said, I don't go along with all of this? You know what would happen? He's out. He's out. The family unit is the unit upon which we base our entire society, really. It's where everybody learns respect and, and uh, learns, learns uh, to, to get along with others. That, that's what the family unit is designed to help us fit into society itself. And so God started out and said, you, you need to honor your father and your mother. For this is the first commandment of the promise. So that was one of the original Ten Commandments. And then in the New Testament, the Bible teaches that there are several different responsibilities that fathers have, mothers have, sons have, daughters have to each other. And it all involves respect and integrity and the building up of good character. But sometimes that family doesn't build good character. Sometimes it doesn't. There's a story I heard a long time ago about a woman by the name of Ma Barker. Maybe you heard about her. I don't know. She started out in Arizona. Her name was not Barker. There was Clark. She started out in Arizona, and sometimes they call her Ma Ma Baker of Arizona. Then she moved to Oklahoma. She was married to a fellow by the name of Barker. Her first name was Clark, then Barker. So when she moved to Oklahoma, they had this, this couple had four boys, four sons. And Marl Barker determined she was not going to discipline those boys at all, just let them do what they wanted to do and be as wild as they wanted to be. The, the father wanted to discipline them, but she wouldn't let him. She was the overpowering personality. So the boys did everything they wanted to do. They got into prison. They went into reformatory. They, they never did a good thing in their life. They always did something wrong. And they, one of them, while he was in prison, came, came across another fellow whose last name was Carpus, and he joined the family. So now you had Ma Barker and her, Ma Barker Carpus, and her family, and they were bank robbers. They were thieves. They plundered in Oklahoma. They plundered everywhere. And eventually, all four boys, plus Carper, were killed violently, and she was too. Nothing good came out of that family. Because they didn't teach discipline, they didn't teach respect, they didn't teach integrity, they didn't, she didn't teach anything like that. So sometimes that happens in a family. And when that happens, for instance, if Jesus isn't present in a family, then, then the person who, says, who stands up and says, but wait a minute, I want to follow Jesus. Now, understand, when he says, take your cross and follow me, and he's talking about it in the family relationship, he's not talking about you becoming a self-martyr here. He's not saying that you can go into the family and condemn them and and judge them and and, uh, be be mean to them and, and show them what kind of bad people they are. What he's saying is, take your cross and follow me. Now, if the result of that is in the family that they kick you out, which they would do if they don't really appreciate Jesus, and he's not saying get, get off with some wild-eyed idiot that comes along preaching something, some kind of contorted doctrine that leads people astray. He's not saying run off with something like that. He's saying follow Jesus. Jesus is not going to hurt you. He's not going to disrupt or corrupt your character. He's, he's going to make sure that everything is right with you. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51 through 53, he says, Suppose ye that I have come to give peace on earth. 
I tell you no, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three, father against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. But the problem is, what he's saying is, when I come into that family, everybody's not going to accept me. Now, wouldn't it be nice if everybody in the family became Christians and followed Jesus? There would be no such thing as you having to carry your cross and get out of the family. He wouldn't, that the family would be kicking you out. He would, they wouldn't be doing that. But Jesus did tell us that when we follow Him, in Matthew chapter 5, and at verse 11, He says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So it's very likely, He said, among the closest relationships that you have on this earth, and that's the family, very likely that the time may come that the family will say, we can't have anything to do with you. We can't have a thing to do with you. Uh, you're, you, you, you act like a, you're holier than us. You act like uh, you're, you're a party pooper. You won't go along with what we're doing. So all of a sudden the family, when the family turns on you because you follow Jesus Christ, you know what's happening? You got that cross. Now what do you do? You cave in and say, oh, you know what? I don't want to upset the family. I don't want to upset my family, so I'm going to go along with what you're doing. Whatever you're doing, right or wrong, I'm with you. You know, Jesus, Jesus faced this problem himself. And that, that, that always surprises me. Because the brothers of Jesus, in John chapter 7, the brothers, brothers of Jesus decided that maybe they didn't want him around them. Let, listen to this text. In John chapter 7, verse 1, it says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry or among the Jews, because the Jews sought to kill him. The Jews were trying to kill Jesus. What would his family do? If someone were trying to kill you, who would be the first ones to step up? Family. Mom and dad, brother and sister. Somebody, you know, you can, you can say a lot of things about somebody, but, uh, but uh, the brother, you better not say it to a brother or sister because they're going to defend that, uh, their, their brother or sister. It says, The Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto me, Depart hence and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you will do. Now listen, his brothers, his family, and he had four of them, four brothers, his family knew that they were trying to kill him. And what did they say? Get on up there. Now that was bearing his cross. He said, uh, he said there's no man, they said, there's no man that does these things in secret. They're trying to chide him. He himself seeks to be openly. If you do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world can't hate you, but me it hates, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, but my time has not yet come. When he had said these things, words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. That's probably one of the saddest text in my mind that I can find in the book of John concerning Jesus and his own family. 
These boys were saying, get on up there. They're trying to kill you. Get on up there. If you, if you're, if you think you're okay, get on up there. The cross does not represent a devotion to a wacky corkscrew, corkscrew scheme that some egomaniac has devised. That's not what the cross represents. The cross represents a very rational, a very personal relationship to Jesus Christ developed by the Scriptures, by the Gospels, that would lead you into paths of righteousness. And if your family does not agree with that, they will put you out. Do not walk away. Jesus didn't walk away from the world. They put Him out. Don't say, I can't have anything to do with my family because they are thus and so. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your family is going to put you out. Don't you leave. Don't you go away and say, I don't have anything to do with you. Jesus came to this world. People didn't want anything to do with him, but he came to them anyway. He knew they hated him. He knew they didn't want him, but he came to them. And he stayed with them until they finally kicked him out of this world on the cross. And that's what he's saying to you. If your family is not going to have you around, some will, some won't, three against two, two against three, there may be a division in your family, some will like you, some won't, what do you do? Stick it out. If they put you away, that's what they're going to do. They'll put you away. But don't you put them away. Don't you shun them. Don't you get away from them. The Bible says that uh, some think it's... it's uh, Odd or strange that we don't run with them the same to the same ride of unrighteousness. People think it's strange that we don't do the same things they do because what they're doing is sinful. And I can read that in the New Testament. I can see what I can or cannot do in the New Testament. And if the world says I, I don't care about that, if my family says that, what do I do? I follow Jesus Christ, and then I accept the consequences. That's what he's saying. Accept the consequences. And in, there's one other text. I said there were two times that this, this, uh, this text appears, bear your own cross. One is when, uh, when it involves your family. And the other is when it involves the community. So in chapter 9 that we read, in Luke chapter 9, at verse 23, it says, uh, and what, what I better stop and say right now is that this text comes right after Jesus asked the question of his disciples. He said, he took them up on a mount, Peter, James, and John, and he said, uh, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're Elijah and some Moses and some say you're the prophet. But he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right after he said that, Here's what he said at verse 23. He said unto them all, because he said he's going up to Jerusalem to be crucified. He was on his way to be killed. And he said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now we read that earlier. For whosoever will lose his life, will save his life, will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. If you get back into that life that's in opposition to God, you can lose your life. For what is a man advantage if he gains the whole world 
and loses himself or be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. Now, what do we do? Well, he said, bear your cross. Do it daily. Deny yourself. Bear your cross. Jesus has not asked us as a community of believers to separate ourselves completely from the world around us physically. He has not said that we need to be out condemning the world. He hasn't said that. What He said is that we need to follow Him. And what He tells us is when we do that, when we make those decisions to follow Him under any circumstance, whatever He says, when we do that, we're going to suffer some consequences. And the consequences is that the world is going to cut you off. That's what's going to happen. They're going to crucify you, as it were. Paul said, we're crucified. I'm crucified under Christ. Yet, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Jesus has not asked us to wear any sort of symbol of Christianity. We don't cut our hair a certain way to identify us. We don't wear our collars a certain way to identify us. We don't wear a certain type of clothing to identify us. We don't wear jewelry to identify us. What do we do? You follow Jesus Christ. You take up your cross. And you make those decisions in your life for Him. Make those decisions for Him. And it won't take the world very long to figure out that you're different. And when they figure out that you're different, they don't want you. You better brace yourself. If you decide you're going to become a Christian and follow Him, brace yourself because Jesus said, take up your cross. Follow me. You're going, to, you're going to have to find that he He's not saying take a big burden on you. As a matter of fact, He's going to relieve us of our burdens. What He's saying is, recognize that you're going to be cast out. Your name is going to be cast out as evil. People will make fun of you. People will deride you. People will snicker at you behind your back. People will say malicious things about you. The world does not like the Christian. That's the way it is. The world is not like you. Why? Because you're odd? Because you do funny things religiously? No. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything peculiar. He asks us to follow Him. He asks us to give up our old habits that are harmful to us. To give up anger, lying, stealing, so, so forth. Quit murder. Don't be a homosexual. Don't participate in same-sex marriages. You know what the world's going to tell you? Get out of my life. Get away. The world, the community is going to say, you don't know what you're doing. We're going to shut you out. You have no voice in this. No voice. I recall the little clerk back in the, back in the South who refused to sign the document. She was a clerk in the, in the counter, county recorder's office. And she refused to sign the document of a couple that wanted to get married, same-sex marriage. She said, I can't do that. She lost her job. Lost her reputation. I don't know if she ever got another job. But she said, I can't do that. I can't do that. So what do we do? We say we embrace her with all and say, okay, sugar, it's okay. We know you've got a conscience about this thing and we know you're misguided on it. That's not what they did. They fired her. Got rid of her. The world can't stand that sort of thing. Because 
You're following Jesus Christ. Jesus wouldn't sign that document. I know that. So we sometimes we, we look at the jobs we're going to take. If the job puts us in a bad environment, we shouldn't take it. Why? Because it takes us away from Jesus. And when we dis- decide not to do that, the world is going to say, you're cuckoo. You're nuts. You're a religious fanatic. Get out of our lives. They won't want to be around you. They won't invite you to their parties, which might be a benefit to you, which might be a blessing. But they're, they're going to say, no, no, if you can't do what we're doing, we don't want you around. We don't want you reminding us of what we're doing wrong. We don't want that. So, that's the larger community. And the larger community is, of course, sometimes our government telling us these things. Telling us that we have to do this and we have to do that and we can't do this and can't do that. But when Jesus said, follow me, take up your cross, he said, you're going, you might suffer for this thing. As a matter of fact, you will. You're going to, you're going to, they're going to, they're going to count you as an outsider. You're not going to, you're going to be, you won't even be in their minds. You're going to die. So what do we do? If I step away from the allurements of this world, I'm carrying my cross. If I refuse to follow the popular crowd, not knowing where the crowd's going or why it's going there, the crowd's going to say, hey, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you come along with us? Because I didn't agree with you. I want to follow Jesus. If, if, you, if you invited Jesus along, I'd go with you. But if he's not there, I'm not there. Well, then you're not in our world anymore. Get out of our world. If I quit satisfying my selfish desires and my lust, just doing what I want to do, bar hopping, party, party hardy, doing all those things, rioting, riotous living, and the world says, hey, why can't you come along with us? What's wrong? Are you better than everybody else? No, I'm not better than everybody else, but I'm following Jesus. If he's not there, I'm not there. I'm not coming. Sorry. You know what's going to happen? The world's going to say, you're dead to us. We don't want you around at all. You know what Jesus said? He said, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's a death sentence, my friend. It's a death sentence. When you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to be considered dead by your family members sometimes. And that's terrible. There's probably no deeper pain than that. Or about the society. So we don't... You're nothing. You're nothing to us. You're dead. But you know what we say? Pick up your cross. Carry it. Follow Jesus. God help you do that.